can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. For $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code FILMCAST when you subscribe. That's HelloFresh.com and enter promo code FILMCAST for $35 off your first week of deliveries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Vinter Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show. What we're going to do here on the podcast today is discuss what we've been watching recently. We have a Slash Film Court segment where we're going to adjudicate a movie-related dilemma that's near and dear to my heart. And then we're going to conclude with two reviews, uh, a Rogue One non-spoiler review and a review of Damien Giselle's new film, La La Land. Uh, so those are two movies that are very difficult for people to see right now, but we're going to review them anyway uh, <laughs> and hope at some point you will listen to them and enjoy the podcast. I should point out that we will have a spoiler special of Rogue One next week. We're going to dive into spoilers and the nitty-gritty of what happened in that film. Uh, but for this week, it's going to be a non-spoiler review that features our overall thoughts on the film. So look forward to that. See how nice we are? We're, we're not even letting you spoil yourself <laughs> That's on right. Rogue One. That's right. Uh, at, at not, certainly not doing so at the behest of Disney or anything like that. Uh, that's just of our own free will. <laughs> that, that is because there... we made a decision. <laughs> yeah. There is no lightsaber being held by a Mickey Mouse glove at my throat right now. <laughs> there is no, there is no cross guard at your throat. Yeah. Uh, so... I do want to acknowledge that after I mentioned the polarizing feedback to the Slash Film Court last week, we did get a bunch more feedback for the Slash Film Court as to whether or not we should do it. And yet again, the feedback was incredibly polarizing. Uh, the, it was about 50-50, right down the middle, uh, half people saying, this segment is amazing, keep continuing to do it, it's my favorite thing of the show. And then the other 50% of people were saying... This is awful. I skip past it every time. It makes me think of your show less. So, <laughs> tough call. It's almost like we yeah. need to just make the show we want to make, Dave. Yeah, I think that's mm. the case, Jeff. I think that's the case. But uh, I, I think, again, what we'll do is we'll have the Slash Film Court on occasionally. But this week, guys, there is just – here's the thing about the Slash Film Court that I, I don't understand about the negative feedback is these are <laughs> issues – that I would normally want to discuss with you guys anyway, you know what I mean? And the the Slash Filmcast listeners are just helping us with them, uh, helping us bring them up in interesting ways. Uh, so I'm a little bit baffled by the negative feedback, but this week's Slash Film Court is something that uh, I have thought about for quite some time and I want to get your opinion on. All that being said, I think we can get into what we've been watching this week. Oh, oh, wait, one other thing I want to mention. This week, that segment of the podcast was featured... In a New York Times article about 
watching and consuming media at twice <laughs> the speed, which is a, a recent topic on the Slash Film Court. Uh, and uh, the article is online now. You can check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes. We are very honored to be included in that. Uh, but yeah, they actually, of record, Dave. The paper of record. record. They actually wrote a description of that segment of the Slash Film Court. <laughs> Uh, and that is <laughs> surreal to see in the New York Times. But it's it very was also, strange. It was also a thrill. And uh, I got the last <laughs> quote of the article, actually. Uh, oh, so yeah. I nice. think our position on listening to podcasts two times as quickly was totally vindicated, right? Yeah. yeah. Also, suck it, haters. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a delight to be included. Uh, I don't actually think that... Uh, our position is completely proven true, but certainly I was happy to get it aired in front of a lot of people in the New York Times. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, for that reason, for, for the hope that we'll get picked up by major publications alone, we must continue the slash film court. Uh, but anyway, let's get into what we've been watching this week. This week, I had a chance to watch Miss Sloan, uh, the new film starring Jessica Chastain, directed by John Madden. Have you guys heard of this film, Miss Sloan? Mm-hmm. Yes. Jessica yeah. Chastain plays a lobbyist. And uh, she's trying to get a gun bill passed. And uh, this movie is okay. It's not bad. But there are some things that are bad about it. And I'm going to go into them just briefly. Uh, firstly, I'll read the plot summary from INDB right now for uh, Miss Sloan. In the world of political power brokers, Sloan takes on the most powerful opponent of her career and will do whatever is required to win. Uh, now, w- this movie is really interesting. I-, I wish I had more information about the making of this film because it's written by Jonathan Pereira, and mm-hmm. that is his first film credit ever uh, on his IMDb page. Huh. He doesn't have any other film credits on IMDb. It's very likely he's worked on other films before. But uh, John Madden, as you may know, uh, has directed some very well-regarded and critically acclaimed films like uh, Shakespeare in Love, which won Best Picture, you know, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, that Nicolas Cage movie. And, you know, he's directed a lot of movies. Very accomplished, very accomplished <laughs> director. Uh, so it was interesting that he was paired with a, uh, a script by someone who didn't have any other credits uh, to his name huh. on IMDb. Uh, and that was a little bit evident in terms of the dialogue of this film. A lot of people have described this as Aaron Sorkin light, and I agree completely with that, it's kind of when you're watching someone trying to imitate Aaron Sorkin and not doing a super great job, and you kind of just wish you were watching an Aaron Sorkin movie instead. That's kind of how I felt watching most of Miss Sloan. The dialogue and the banter, it feels like a pale imitation of someone who's much more skillful at that kind of thing. But here's what is great about Miss Sloan, is this is probably my favorite Jessica Chastain role. I remember watching uh, this movie Equity with uh, Anna Gunn with my significant other, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, hey, I'm really looking forward to this movie Equity because we are going to watch Anna Gunn slay for two hours. Of course, Equity ended up being a terrible, terrible movie, and <laughs> I did not watch Anna Gunn slay, uh, so it was disappointing. But this is a movie where you can watch Jessica Chastain slay for two hours. I mean – I think she is at the top of her game here. She's a pretty interesting character, and you get to see her kind of lay waste to her opponents in ways that are occasionally pretty interesting. Uh, the other thing I'll say about this movie, Miss Sloan, is just that it feels very quaint, uh, given the current political environment and the things that we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like it comes from a very naive place of how politics works and even how lobbying works. Uh, Alyssa Rosenberg at the Washington Post wrote an article about how the movie 
basically doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny when you evaluate its ideas seriously. Uh, but in a world where we're dealing with Russian hacking of uh, our elections, you know, and uh, conflicts of interest with the current president-elect and the emoluments clause, uh, this movie feels like it is from a different era. And it's, it's like watching, you know, the pilot of the West Wing today. I mean, it's it's much... Uh, dirtier than the West Wing, you know. And when I mean dirty, I mean just like it's much more like House of Cards style. Like it's much more about how politics can be a dirty game than the West Wing is. But it feels that quaint, you know. It feels like just wow, this person who made the people who made this film could not possibly have anticipated the state that we'd be in today. So uh, anyway, those are some thoughts on Miss Sloan. It's a great performance by Jessica Chastain, uh, but there's a lot of stuff that's just very weird about it and very not great about it. And also, there is a major plot point in the film that hinges on cybernetic cockroaches. And I'm just going to put that out there and leave it at that. Well, so. we know how much you uh, love uh, cybernetic bugs, Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah. don't know. I don't even know what that's a reference to, Devendra. But, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a thing. All right. All right. Certain well, TV show. Uh, what are, now I'm curious. What are you referring to? Black Mirror. Oh, Black Mirror. Come yeah. on, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Was I was I actually a fan, or were you saying that ironically? No, I'm saying that ironically. I, oh, that's right. Yeah, the episode of Black Mirror with the with the robot experience. bees. That's right. Yeah. Okay, I really didn't <laughs> like that one. Uh, anyway, so that's Miss Sloan. It's available in theaters right now. I also had a chance to watch Documentary Now. Have you guys seen Documentary Now on IFC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is a show w- by Fred Armisen and Bill Hader. They, uh, they basically send up various documentary styles. And this show is so brilliant and it is so specific. So dorky. And it is so dorky and it's so <laughs> nerdy. And, and I think it's amazing. It's some of my favorite television that I've watched this year. It's available on Netflix right now. But I also thought to myself, I can't imagine more than maybe 300 people enjoying this television show. Yeah. I don't, I don't like, know that – I just don't know if it's uh, universal enough that what's yeah. on there is funny to people who don't like documentaries. I know? watch a lot of documentaries too and there are definitely some send-ups that they're doing that I don't even have the reference for. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's and then like, it's like, wait, how how deep are they going here? They're going yeah. so deep and, and – uh, they imitate the style, the archive footage, huh. you know. They, uh, they, like I watched this one yes, uh, yesterday about, uh, that was a, a fake musical documentary. And so they would film fake musical concerts in the style of documentaries about musicians from back in the day. It's just incredible the lengths that they go to to achieve the, uh, the sort of parody that they're going for. And, it's impressive, and I also feel like, man, how did they get someone to write them a check to do this? Because uh, <laughs> I can't imagine the target audience being that large. But right. uh, really enjoy the show. Jeff, are you a fan of Documentary Now? Yeah. Yeah, I find it hilarious and brilliant. Yeah. Um, so it's available right now. Season one is on Netflix, and I think season two is uh, out there uh, in other ways. But uh, I'm looking forward to checking out season two when it uh, hits a video streaming service. So I'll tell you, that that is one of the very few shows that I have discovered because TiVo suggested it to me. Mm. Oh. It's one of those ones on the on the bar, uh, the new TiVo, because uh, I have actual TiVo as my DVR. Uh, the new TiVo sort of um, a menu system has like a top bar that lists three or four or five things like based on the things you've been recording we suggest this and i was like who's in it i love those people i hadn't heard about this and so that's how i found it nice uh well 
By the way, Jeff, what TiVo are you using right now? Which one? Oh, it's not the super cool Bolt. I bought mine. Um, are you using the, Ro- the Romeo or? No, I wish. God, no. Uh, <laughs> it's the one before that. It's like Series Three or whatever it was uh, called. So you got like a really old one, but because you got lifetime service, you can't upgrade to a new one. Is that how it works? Exactly, because you get lifetime <laughs> service it. that's tied to the exact model that you bought. Right. The the <laughs> so, physical device. Yeah, and people. I bought it like I don't know five six years ago. So yeah, yeah until that thing breaks, I'm <laughs> using it. I heard actually that with some of the really older ones, like after ten to fifteen years, they are moving people off of those older devices and giving them some kind of credit or something like that. They better because mm. lifetime yeah. service did feel like a pretty large promise for a up and coming electronics company to make. Um, well, I'm going to test it, Dave, because you know it. what? If I buy something, I'm going to. There's no way I'm. I wanted that Bolt and that Romeo version, but no, <laughs> I'm sticking with it because I made a commitment. <laughs> a lifetime commitment to your TV. But I got the one that has like the absurdly large hard drive. So I like I li- there's so much stuff on my on my TiVo and I'm like at 52% full, but there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of HD content on <laughs> sitting on my hard drive. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Uh well anyway, uh, apparently TiVo is still good for recommendations, uh, and the movies I watched were Miss Sloan and also Documentary Now on Netflix. Devinder Hardwar, you've been watching a few things. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, the newest film by, I want to say, Oscar-winning director Ong Lee, right? I believe he's Yeah, cinematic Oscar. genius Ong Lee. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of love this guy. Yeah. Um, I saw this movie a couple weeks ago. I just kept forgetting to bring it up, but not because uh, it didn't like have any lasting marks on me. I think... Uh, well, I, I had advocated for this to be a main yeah. review, actually. I would have then, loved for it to be a main But then review. what yeah. happened was it was in theaters for a week, and then uh-huh. it was unavailable in local theaters for me, except at, like, god-awful times, like 11.20 a.m. It, it turns out his halftime walk was longer than its stay in theaters, huh? Yeah, apparently. Hi, Dave? Uh, that's bad, Jeff. Uh, it's pretty rough. So, yeah, it um, seems like theaters <laughs> gave up on this movie immediately, Yeah, which is disappointing as hell. And also, like, even if you were in a market with uh, the high frame rate stuff, uh, there weren't many screenings of those either. So I, I'm lucky enough to be in New York and I was able to catch it a couple weeks ago. Uh, the movie itself, uh, I really, I really dug this thing. Um, it's about a, uh, a young soldier who comes back after a pretty crazy battle, uh, in Iraq and they're celebrating his, tr- uh, his squad, uh, during the Super Bowl ceremony. So the entire movie is kind of the lead up to that and the actual ceremony itself is the big, climax of the movie in a way it's a really weirdly structured movie because it mostly exists in flashbacks uh we see billy lynn come home try to like you know maintain his normal home life and home relationships uh the guy who plays uh the lead is joe alwyn i think he hasn't really done much before either and he's really great in this role just like a scared kid who clearly went through something traumatic and there's a great cast in this movie um vin diesel in a non-furious movie yeah Vin Diesel in a non-furious movie. Vin Diesel spouting like Hindu warrior philosophy, which I also kind of loved too. Like, just uh, he has actually kind of been doing that in the Fast and Furious movies yes. for a while too. Yep. Um, th- there is a Zen warrior nature to him in a way, uh, even in the Riddick movies, I guess. But seeing him do it here, I thought that was just kind of interesting. That feels like an angly, an angly flavor to this sort of. Uh, story and ultimately it's a movie about war and the cost of war because this kid went through hell he's back home now they're celebrating him 
with this insane like you know halftime show during a football game and Beyonce's there and you know there's all this celebration for it meanwhile he feels terrible for everything he went through like he doesn't feel like a hero he doesn't feel like he does like this is even an appropriate response to it so it's sort of like what so it shows the difference between what soldiers go through uh, versus how people back home kind of see the war how it's I guess they're mostly spectators in a way. Yeah. And they, they just have like a very distant relation to war. So the film itself, I think, explores that really well. Um, but the, and the I, big story around it, right, is yeah. the high frame. This was shot in 120 mm-hmm. frames per second in 3D. Yes. Uh, and you saw it in that format. It, it actually was not easy to see it in that format, but you saw it yeah. in that format. It was a bit uh, of a struggle. So Ang Lee, basically, this is a really internal movie. This is a movie about, you know, people just talking in rooms. There's one big climactic sequence. But yeah, mostly it's about internal struggle struggles. And the reasoning I saw is that he thought high frame rate would be a good way to just bring you really close to Billy Lynn and close to these characters and what they're going through. And the technology, I mean, I sat through it for the Hobbit movies and it looks better than that. But I think it has the same sort of flaws it still takes your eyes um, a couple minutes to get used to the motion uh, because it's uh, it's to your eyes. It'll look really fast at first. So in a way, your brain has to get used to that motion and things still look a little too hyper real. I'm still not convinced this is a good technology for movies. You know, I think there is something specific about the movie screen and the way I don't know, even maybe the 24 frames per second uh refresh rate and everything like i think there's a specific dreamy quality to that that has made for me is like one of my favorite things about films i think there's a good separation there uh when you make things too real uh it's there's no separation it feels weird it feels alien uh, but isn't that yeah. part of the reason he did it that way was so that it would feel alien was it so that it would I mimic so. billy lynn's experience right i think i mean i could see that reasoning too and i actually didn't have as much of a problem with it here in this movie it looked awkward and weird at times um but there are t- there are specific like action sections like there's uh, towards the end of the movie he's going through the actual halftime show and uh, it's like brilliantly cross-cut with the major battle he went through. So seeing that technology in action for like a really action-heavy scene, um, it really shines there because there's less blurriness. The camera can move around. Like when you pan the camera, uh, you don't just get like a blurry streak, which you see right. in every other movie. Uh, I'm not as convinced it works for, you know, quieter scenes where people are just talking. Uh, you kind of need the artifice there because otherwise it feels like you're watching a play with like huge blown up monster people and i it just doesn't look right you know like yeah so for, for maybe something play, actiony or something like that it yeah. kind of helps immerse you but for something that's more quiet and understated it, it yeah. kind of pulls you out of it and that's right? basically what james cameron has said too like he's considering the technology for whenever the hell those avatar sequels come out and he sees it as something that's useful for like specific sequences where you mm. can jump into it maybe like imax maybe how christopher nolan uses imax that'd be really interesting to have like a movie that's partly hfr yeah. right yeah. uh high frame rate and partly regular frame rate that'd although then cool. your eyes would never really get used to it too yeah, so that, yeah. that'll be problematic anyway so i i really love this movie uh i think it's a quiet really heartbreaking look at war um and the cost of war it's a very ugly movie because i love his dramas he's just he's really good at intimate dramas and this is right up there with me um so with like 
other things of his I love, like Brokeback Mountain and Crouching Tiger. Yeah. So yeah, recommend checking this out when it's on video, and you'll see it like a normal movie, so it'll probably even work better for you there. That's Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Anything else you've been watching, Devinder Hardwar? I also want to recommend Search Party, uh, which is a new TV show on TBS, guys. I've heard starring... great things about this show. Uh, yeah. Starring maybe Funke from Arrested Development, right? Yeah, starring Alia Shadakat and uh, a couple other people. Ron Livingston's in here. Um, Parker Posey's in the show. Uh, it's about – it's sort of like girls. It's about a young, like, 20-something group of uh, Brooklynites uh, who are a little self-absorbed and hard to like. Um, but it's also sort of like Veronica Mars in a way, because it starts out with a missing person um, who Ali Shaket's character knows or at least vaguely knew. And she kind of goes on a mission to try to find her. I guess it reminds me a bit of Bored to Death as well, because that was a Brooklyn detective show. Uh, yeah, the show's really it's really well written. It's dark. It's funny. and It's sweet. Um, it's basically I think a lot of people complain about girls that show uh I, I think this kind of does that whole concept better of just like putting you know young a young group of people in a crazy situation and seeing what's happening so i recommend it it's on tbs it's uh i think all of it they had yeah, on their on-demand streaming too apparently you can get like all episodes at once so they're kind of yeah. doing the netflix model but that's a uh, search party i've heard great yep. things about that show check it out and uh what else anything else yes also most in the jungle season three just wanted to recommend that uh i've talked about the show so much and uh dave you of all people i think would love it uh, it reminds me a lot of La La Land in a way. It's a pure celebration of creativity, of creating something beautiful and the struggle behind it. Uh, season three has been tremendous. I'm one episode from the end. Uh, they brought in Monica Bellucci, who is kind of a great mix to this weird, funny cast. So check it out. I, I understand now why it, was, it started winning Golden Globes and everybody was wondering why the hell it was being nominated for those things. It's a great show. Mozart in the Jungle season three is available on Amazon streaming. Uh, also, you mentioned Vin Diesel uh, this week. Yep. The, the big news from this week is that the new title for the Fast and the Furious movie was released, The Fate of the Furious. Except F8. it's not spelled F8. Yeah, it's not spelled F8. Huge Come on. missed opportunity. That being said, Come I think they did, they did intentionally call it The Fate. So you It should have been called The F8 of the Furiosa or something. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and Sarah too bad yeah. we can't talk about the trailer, guys. <laughs> but you like the trailer, Devendra. You, you the trailer's good, but there's yeah. <laughs> there's like one thing we can't talk about it because of you guys, <laughs> listeners. Anyway, it's pretty crazy. Uh, family. Who knows what's gonna happen to family now? But uh, it's uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Even though I have uh, who's who's the director of that? Uh, F. Gary Gray. F. Gary Gray. Yeah. It's uh, I've lo- I liked some of his movies. I really like Straight Outta Compton. I hope he can pull this off. He's been pretty hit or miss uh, yeah, from the yeah. uh, uh, like action directing front. Uh, Law Abiding Citizen is a movie I loved, but yep. uh, is not a movie that script is not yeah. a movie that a lot of people liked. Right. <laughs> unfortunately, not the Italian job like he he yeah. had that that was a decent thing. I never really liked that movie very much, but it had, it had a following, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think my favorite thing about this series now has become its titling. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it is having maddeningly a, inconsistent. Having a, having a series that just gives no fucks about titling is <laughs> yeah. so great. The title doesn't reflect what the movie's title actually is sometimes because Fast and the Furious Six is actually Furious Six in the movie. So the marketing. Oh, title. oh, oh, you're saying you're saying the marketed title is yes. not what you see on the title card in the film. I bet. I bet when the movie starts up, it'll be the F8. <laughs> I want them to call the next one "Working Nine to fa- Fast." You know, <laughs> uh, just like just go crazy. Yeah, yeah. 
not only that, but the chronology of these movies is so jacked up at this point. Uh, I'm going to just anyway, say... So I, I understand why you guys aren't going to be watching the trailer. You will be spoiled because it's a very, <laughs> it's a very, very like upfront thing. They're not hiding this fact about what this movie is going to be about where loyalties lie for certain characters. So you're going to we'll get spoiled. We'll see. And then we'll, we'll see. talk about it then. We'll see. Uh, so uh, one thing that uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, a couple people talking about this spoilers for the first three Fast and Furious films. Uh-huh. But one of the, one of the, Best and most beloved characters in Fast and Furious is uh, Han, right? Mm-hmm. From Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Yeah. He dies in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Yeah. You're saying and... that Han is killed by his own son? <laughs> no, I don't think that's the case, Jeff. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I was worried about spoilers. You're thinking of a different film. Uh, so he dies in, in Tokyo Drift. And then you find out that I think it's movies four, five, and six yeah. actually take place before. For the events of uh, of Furious Seven, right? But after Tokyo, what? Uh, they take bef- they take, they take place, place. I'm sorry, before, before Tokyo, Tokyo Drift, Drift right? Yes. Yeah, and then yeah. Seven takes place after Tokyo Drift. That's yes. right. Uh, but you know, this is a movie that has brought back character, a movie series that's brought back characters from the dead. Yeah. Do you think they could bring back Han? I feel like I. I, I feel like I Han wish, could still be I alive. Wish you guys would watch this trailer so you can see how soap <laughs> operatic they're getting, guys, because shit is getting real. All right. All right. You know well, what? Of all the trailers that I would watch for you, Devinder, this would be the easiest. Of, for I, I, I really am not invested in the fast Yeah, uh, there you mythos. go. There you go. There's there <laughs> the such a soap opera in nature to this entire series, and I think what we see of this next one just really doubles down on that. So, yeah. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? Well, Dave, uh, I watched uh, the story of a selfish man determined to prove he's richer and more popular than he really is who takes advantage of good, honest, trusting people lying and cheating and stealing until he has everything he's ever wanted. But enough about America, Dave. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't very good, Jeffrey. Was it? <laughs> I'm sorry to say. It's true. It, wasn't. <laughs> it is true. Why wasn't it? It's, yeah, uh, I, I, well, enough about I, the founding fathers. Firstly, firstly, Jeff, I think a boom goes to dynamite thing only works if people think they know what you're talking about when you're doing that description. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying? Point. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't set it it's, up it's that I actually saw founder. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You saw the founder, the new movie, the biopic starring Michael Keaton, right from the yeah, Weinstein right. company. But enough about America, Dave. <sighs> okay. <laughs> You could, uh, you, yeah. could have, you could have led with like enough about the founding fathers. There you go, guys. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no, this is the founder. This is the story of uh, of McDonald's of of the the history of McDonald's, the you know multinational global corporation. Um, and uh, it's the way I describe this movie is it's um, the Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> with way less. Uh, snorting coke out of assholes. Oh. <laughs> so equally Why as many I prostitutes that? then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is a palatable version of The Wolf of Wall Street. If you felt uncomfortable watching The Wolf of Wall Street with uh, any anybody uh, that you may have been watching it with, uh, this is that same same story, the same lesson to be learned, but uh, a, a palatable, watchable movie <laughs> that won't make you squirm in your seat because of all the the weird shit that's happening. Um, I mean, I liked Wolf of Wall Street, but yeah, 
Uh, I didn't really know the story of McDonald's. I think few people do. Uh, I think it's really crazy how the story has been obfuscated and and the misinformation that's been spread by the McDonald's Corporation uh, because Ray Kroc, who calls himself the founder of McDonald's, uh, who this movie is about, Michael Keaton plays uh, Ray Kroc, and uh, it's a it's a fascinating story of how he just just stole it. He just stole McDonald's. Right, right. <laughs> and um, it, it's I mean that's not even really a spoiler. That's just history, right? But yeah. it, it it how that all comes together and uh, it this is going to it'd be another one of those movies that's going to be fighting for place on my on my top oh. ten of the year because it is it's really good. Michael Keaton is really good in it. It's a fascinating story. It will break your heart. I mean, it's a, it's like, like Scarface or The Wolf of Wall Street. It's a, a movie that shows the horrors of capitalism and how capitalism will destroy honest, good, trusting people. Uh, and, and also like those movies, I could totally see this one being looked at by people going, yeah. He's my hero. That's how he did the strong crush and the strong take and fuck everybody else. Um, because the movie doesn't, it doesn't really, um, condemn him. So, and he makes him a very sympathetic character. Uh, so it's, it's very even handed in that way. And, uh, I came out of it going, Oh, it's a story about a monster. But I think a lot of people will come out of it going, it's a story about a, a, a brilliant man who set out to, take something and took it. Um, but it's, it's an excellent film. Excellent film. Oh, wow. Uh, I've read some actually negative reviews about it that felt like it was more of a, of an advertisement for McDonald's. The first, the first 20 minutes is, uh, the first 20 minutes is like, oh, wow, McDonald's, look how smart they were. Look at, and then you, and then you realize, oh, no, this is very, it's almost surprising that McDonald's didn't put a stop to this movie because <laughs> it, it does not cast them in a, in a favorable light. It doesn't cast the current corporation in a favorable light. In fact, much of how McDonald's was founded, according to this movie, is in direct opposition to what it means to all of us and results in numerous points where characters on screen are espousing the virtues of McDonald's and they come off as ironic laugh lines that mm. my audience and myself were were snickering at because it's like, you know, it's all about fresh ingredients and no preservatives and stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's, you know, a direct criticism of, I think, of, of what McDonald's is today uh, or has become, you know. Um, and I found, I found it to be a really insightful, interesting, you know, it, it's who knows how much of it is true. But it starts out as a, a mythologizing of a corporation. And I, and I said to myself, oh, here we go. This is sort of like uh, – um, I don't know the what was the uh, Mary Poppins biopic movie where it's like sort of myth. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about, Mister um, Something Something, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something. Uh, Supercalifragilistic something or other. Um, Saving yeah. Mr. Banks. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and in the, you know that movie, I think kind of like ground down any of the rough edges and made everybody all lovely to each other. Uh, and I think this movie is a little more courageous in in letting the ugliness shine through and being being uh, a, a more honest take. I mean, I don't know if how much of the history is uh, is accurate, accurate or yeah. not, 
they, there was a talk back after the screening I saw with Michael Keaton and, and the director and, and, a, and a bunch of the production design, the costumer and the production designer. And um, it's pretty amazing how they managed to like recreate the original locations of McDonald's, which don't exist anymore. And the original costuming and stuff like, a, you know, employee uniforms and all that. They, just, they spoke to that. And, and it seems that they really were conscious of trying to honor history. Of course, a lot of license has been taken as far as individual moments as in any movie. But um, I don't know. I came away pretty impressed by it. And even if it's just an allegory that doesn't, you know, hew exactly close to history, I feel like it is certainly another of those movies that makes you think about what we are willing to do to be wealthy. You know, that, mm. that winning is a movie, especially in the Trump era. It is a movie that makes you think about what is America, right? What is capitalism? What is America? We tell our kids, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. And yet everything else contradicts that message in our society, that it's really all about winning and it doesn't matter how you play the game. And I think that's what this movie is speaking to directly. That's the founder and it is out in very limited release right now for an Academy Award qualifying run. And I believe it will expand wider in late January. So you can see it, I think, probably in New York or L.A., right? You saw it in L.A., Jeff, I assume? I did. Yeah, and uh, you can see it there now and probably see it in other cities starting in late January. So that's the founder. Uh, and that's what we've been watching this week. You know, Jeff, speaking of fresh ingredients. Oh, yeah. They're hard to find, right? Yeah, well, you know, I hate – one of the things I learned by watching the founder is it reminds me how much I hate fast food, how bad it is for you, how much uh But how just, easy just these it days, is. these days you're working hard, you're oh, a busy right. person. Like it's how, too easy. How can you get uh a, a fresh meal and isn't it super tempting to just, you know, pick up a bag of McDonald's on the way home? Well, I don't have time to go to the grocery store, Dave, or plan out a menu to cook. What am I supposed to do? Well, hellofresh.com is here to the rescue. They are a meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun easy and convenient. Uh, uh, here's how this works. They're our sponsor this week. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. And they give you the freshest ingredients, like all measured out in a box uh, that's recyclable. And uh, they also have a full-time registered dietitian on staff who reviews each recipe to ensure it is nutritionally balanced. All that is delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. Now, we've all used HelloFresh, and uh, I think we agree that this kind of service is not only great because it teaches you new recipes, but it also is kind of a cool bonding experience, right? Like you can cook with a, uh, a loved one or, or for friends, you know? I, uh, I am not exaggerating when I say this has changed my life. The, the, delivering food directly to my door – Without me having to go to the grocery store, picking an, an interesting varied meal that I probably would never even have chosen. If I was like, well, what am I going to cook tonight? I'm going to go on the internet and try to find recipes. Half the recipes I wouldn't even select for myself but turn out to be awesome and delicious and unique and fun to prepare. I've discovered a joy of cooking. It, it is an extraordinary thing to have recipes show up at your door the exact amount of, of ingredients you need so there's no waste. 
You're not throwing out, you know, eggs at the end of the week because you didn't use them. It's only the the stuff you need. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And we have a special offer for you guys. If you want to get $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code FILMCAST when you subscribe. That's HelloFresh.com. $35 off first week of deliveries using promo code FILMCAST. Uh, we really appreciate HelloFresh for sponsoring us. And yeah, we do think it will make a difference in your life, both in terms of uh, from a social perspective, uh, also from a convenience perspective, and also just teaching you new recipes and how to cook. Teaches good habits, and it's perfect for people who are super busy. Right, like that is yeah. exactly who it's targeted to. Is people who generally don't have time to cook because uh, you don't want to buy, go to the store, buy all this stuff, and then have too much. So uh, HelloFresh, great sponsor, thirty five dollars off by using promo code FilmCast at HelloFresh.com. Let's move on. Before we get to the slash film court, I do want to mention one quick thing. Uh, the Criterion Collection announced this week publicly uh, that. The Before series is coming to their collection. Do you guys see this? Yeah. Um, so the Before trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, uh, the trilogy is coming to the Criterion Collection. And uh, it's the first time that it's been available on Blu-ray. So it's one of my most anticipated Blu-rays of 2017. I, I don't think – I can't remember the last time I bought a Criterion Blu-ray. I think it might have been mm-hmm. Brazil, which was quite a while ago when I bought the Brazil Criterion Blu-ray. But uh, – the Before Trilogy is awesome. I do want to say, however, have you guys seen the cover art for the Before Trilogy? <laughs> yes. Uh, the, there's, there is a trilogy box set that's like $70, and that box looks great. You know, it's very beautiful, very understated. But then the individual Blu-rays for each movie <laughs> has these sketches of, yeah. uh, like, they look like sketch recreations of the films, right? The film box covers. And they are awful. Jeff, have you seen this? Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> it, it looks very bad. It looks like I don't understand it was... because they, they seem to take a lot of care in, in the packaging of those Criterion collections. And I don't understand the decision here. Yeah. But the, the Before Midnight one in particular, it, it does not look like Ethan Hawke at all. It, right, it's right. completely unrecognizable. Uh, so... That is very disappointing, but I'm probably not going to get any of the individual discs anyway. You know, I'll probably just get the trilogy, and hopefully, I won't need to look at that other box art. But well, what if they're like individually? Yeah, if they're individually know, like in the container, you're going to have to look at those at some point. Then it, I don't know what I'm going to do, Devendra. <laughs> <laughs> I have no. Might as well just plan. kill yourself right now. <laughs> I think what they were going for with those is is like. Uh, old sort of paperback yeah, yeah that you would you would you know read on a train in paris you know yeah. but it just i kind of misses the mark i don't it's, yeah it is really rough really well rough. i'm sure i i wonder if there's enough like criterion fan outcry if uh they'll do something about <laughs> it i don't know yeah yeah i i just care more about the discs guys i don't care much about cover art but uh i'm glad we're finally like there is no disc way to get before um the before, sunset yeah on blu-ray on blu-ray right? yeah that's right yeah so yeah i'm looking forward to this i cannot wait to yeah it's gonna movies. be a great like maybe we should do i don't know if we're gonna do a full review of that but we should probably uh-huh. do what we've been watching of that criterion collection perhaps I think it's, perhaps they'll even be willing to send us some copies <laughs> for us to do that you know that would be really shameless. great of them yeah. shameless anyway uh, yeah <laughs> if only for us to revisit before midnight guys come on all right, guys, let's do a quick segment of the Slash Film Court. Slash Film Court. Slash Film Court. Slash Film Court. You can't handle the truth. Slash Film Court. 
Welcome to the Slash Film Court, ladies and gentlemen. This is the quasi-weekly segment where we adjudicate your film-related dilemmas. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com with your uh, court dilemmas. This one comes in from Bo Pullman from Lincoln, Nebraska. Bo writes into the Slash Film Court, I recently took a flight from Atlanta to Boston through Delta Airlines. Delta offered a wide selection of in-flight entertainment options on my flight, from music and games to television series and movies. All these choices were displayed on screens embedded in the backs of the seats in front of all passengers. It's important to note that while these screens were tablet-like in nature, they were locked in their positions and could not be removed from the seats, and the screens lacked any sort of privacy or anti-glare uh, anti filters. I realize these screens are not uncommon on today's airplanes, but I wanted to make sure I accurately set the scene for you guys. As we took off, the captain informed us the flight was expected to take just over two hours. I eagerly browsed a selection of movies in front of me after hearing this, as this sounded like the perfect flight duration for enjoying a film. I had already seen a number of the movies offered and decided to watch one I had missed in theaters, The Infiltrator, a crime drama starring Brian Cranston. The film is R-rated, so I made sure to check that I wasn't sitting with children or anyone who might be sensitive to the content in such a film. I sat between two strangers, a man in his 30s who kept to himself and took naps, and a woman in her mid-20s who had the window seat and mostly kept to her view of the sky. I plugged my headphones into the audio port and began my viewing experience. Overall, the film was just math for me, but that's not what's important. The important problem came from the film's brief scenes of sexuality, which caught the attention of the woman sitting next to me. In my peripheral vision, I noticed her looking over at my screen during some of these smutty and promiscuous scenes. At one point, her, her screen looking was so obvious that I had a near impulse to look over at her to ward her off. Instead, wanting to avoid an awkward confrontation with a stranger, I kept to myself and let my movie continue on. At one point, I had the unfortunate timing of getting my complimentary ginger ale from a female flight attendant at the precise moment when a character on screen was receiving a blowjob. And I'm pretty sure the flight attendant had full view of the scene as she distributed her refreshments. It was from here on that I became paranoid about my viewing experience. I thought, how many people near me can see my screen and think I'm a nasty individual for watching a movies with scenes like this on an airplane? I was able to observe a handful of screens in the three or four rows ahead of me, so it's entirely possible that a good number of people behind me could see mine as well. I must add that I'm not one to just stop watching a movie partway through. I have to get to the end, and I like to watch movies completely in one sitting. What do you guys think? Do you ever run into this awkward feeling on planes? Is it natural to feel paranoid about watching something sexually graphic in a public setting, even when that movie is offered by an airline? Or should I just say, screw it, I'll never see any of these people again? That email comes in from Bo from Lincoln, Nebraska, asking about watching sexually explicit material on a plane. Now, Bo points out that he watched this on the Delta in-flight movie system but this could yeah, easily this could Come easily on. also be you know you bring a tablet on the plane you i know? think right, those right, are right. two very different situations yes though. okay i yeah. think there's a big distinction to be made between i have brought my own personal smut and uh, <laughs> and this was one of the in-flight offerings i that's, think you know that's something you bring to the bathroom you know <laughs> the airplane bathroom and then you know the other stuff is what you yeah, watch in the, the mile high solo club yeah um, <laughs> the uh, the I think from an outsider's perspective, anything that's on the screen that's in the back of the seat, you kind of have to give a, a bit of a leeway on. It's in the sense that that is what the airline expects people to be watching at any yeah. given time. And they're usually edited, too. They are almost always edited. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing this guy really misses is that all of those systems also have a pause button. <laughs> 
So when the uh, the waitress comes by with your drink, you don't have to just sit there enjoying the blowjob scene and, and accepting your ginger ale, you know? You'd be like, thank you. Oh, yeah, no, I'll take the peanuts. It's fine. And then It all the happens so quickly, scene. though, Jeff. You may miss your drink if, you, if you're fumbling to pause the blowjob. Or, or, yeah, or turn off the screen or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, know, like, like do, do you guys have a personal policy on this? Like, how do you deal it with is, the situation? Yeah, it's definitely weird. I remember I was on the flight to... Uh, uh, my first flight to Spain at some point, and uh, my wife and I decided to watch The Skin I Live In, which is a great movie. But it turns out uh, European uh, airlines don't really edit things out. So that's a crazy-ass almost of our movie. And things got really weird and really crazy. But I also feel like uh, I looked around and nobody really cared. Like, it was pretty blasé on that flight. Uh, I feel like watching that same thing in America would be you would be like – the the U.S. Marshal would want to get you off the plane or something. <laughs> so that's a very fine. different situation. Uh, I do try to, I guess, I think about what's around and who's around and stuff. Right, right, right. just like just like Bo yeah. did. But you know, Bo was saying yeah. there's no kids around me. You know, that's fine. That's so, fine. So so there is a question of screen looking, right? Which, you know, guys, I once saw this thing on Reddit. Uh, do you guys remember the Highlights magazine from when you're a kid and yeah. Goof, Goofus and Gallant? And, you know, yeah. Goofus would do things in a crappy way and Gallant would do things in a nice way. You know, it, it, it's meant to model good behavior. Uh-huh. Well, there is a modern-day version of that called Good Guy Greg and Scumbag Steve, right? Are you right. guys familiar with Good Guy Greg, Scumbag Steve? Jeff Canada? Yeah. Do you know what this no. is? No. Is this in, oh, still in highlights? Oh, my gosh. Still in highlights? Do, you, do you even check Reddit, Jeff? Do you ever read Reddit? <laughs> uh, I, I try not to. I'm stunned. You even read it, bro. I'm stunned. Yeah. Do you read it, bro? Yeah. Uh, so good guy Greg, you know, he does things that are really nice for you. Uh, and, um, scumbag Steve, he is a dick to you, right? And usually the, the way the Mac, the image macro is set up is the top line sets up the situation and the bottom line explains what good guy Greg does. So scumbag Steve is, you know, sees that you've tripped and fallen on the ground, kicks you in the face. Like that's scumbag Steve. Good guy Greg would be, sees that you tripped and fall on the ground, like helps you up. Anyway, good guy Greg, I saw good guy Greg like a long time ago and it was, uh, like so, some guy caught me watching his movie from you know a, a seat adjacent to his, and uh, and the good guy Greg part is turned on subtitles so I could understand the movie. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, that's nice, you know. And also, like, who gives a crap if people are leeching off your screen? Uh, I, I think I if you're doing if you're doing work. And you it, have doesn't, confidential- it doesn't take away from your screen. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have confidential information on your screen, like of course, yeah. you know, set up anti glare, like get you know, get that all squared away. But yeah, like who cares if people are looking? At- it's it, movies are for everyone to enjoy. You know, if someone's looking at your thing, then like, unless it's a top secret movie or a movie only you have access to or whatever, I don't see a harm in yeah. other people enjoying a movie that you have on your screen. Whether- I gotta admit. Uh- I'm often the guy who's looking at the other person's screen. Yeah, yeah. I I hate to admit that, but it, it, it I think it has more to do with the uh, the glowing box thing, where it's like yeah, oh, there's a glowing yeah. box over yeah, there. Yeah, it, well, it's like you're in this cramped enclosed area, you know. Like there's yeah. nothing you can only else look to do. in so many directions, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's but like, also I like uh, to I like to look around and see what people are watching too. Yeah, what is that guy into? What is that? Yeah. What, what is she watching? What's yeah. uh, what's going on over there? Yeah, and yeah. then um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm often the, the over the shoulder looker. I can totally understand not wanting to have somebody. If it's the same thing with um, 
a newspaper, right? I mean, I guess I'm old enough to bring up newspapers, but <laughs> back in the day, there would like somebody would have a newspaper and you'd be sitting there with nothing to read. And I would like look over and read that person's newspaper. And then they'd turn the page and be like, God damn it. I wasn't done with it. Okay. I'll just see what's on this page now. Um, sometimes you just, uh, you're just more interested in what other people are into <laughs> than your own stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's cool, right? I think, are, are we cool with people leeching off screens? I mean, it's fine. Yeah, up until a point, you know, up until, yeah, it's private information or something. It's a, I understand feeling weird, uh, Mm -hmm. as the leechee, right? As the leecher, you end up feeling weird if they catch you, but as the leechee, it does feel weird when you kind of sense that person, like, watching your show or watching your, the movie that you were watching, especially if it's a you brought your own device type of situation where, like, they don't even have the opportunity to watch it themselves and they're like, oh, I'm into this episode of, you know, whatever uh it's yeah it's i I don't uh, know i'm I'm, I'm cool with it but in in, in any case what do we think what is our final advice to Bo here i think uh the stuff that plays on the screens of delta is totally fair game right yeah we we all think it's edited for your enjoyment yeah and the stuff that you bring yourself be conscious of what you're doing but it sounds like Bo already is so i think Bo. so we're saying shame on delta and really (laughs) shame on brian cranston yeah that's right. Yeah. That's right. And Bo, you're totally in the right. Don't worry about it again. Uh, that is the ruling of the Slash Film Court this week. You can always write into us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com with your Slash Film Court dilemmas. Uh, and we will occasionally do this segment. But let's move on to our review of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. State your name for the record. Jin Erso. Forgery of Imperial Documents. Possession of stolen property, aggravated assault, resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Now, I should point out before we begin our review of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, that we will be giving away basic plot details about Rogue One, but we will not be doing any spoilers in this review. This review is just meant to give you our sense of whether this movie is good or not. From IMDb... Uh, the plot summary reads as follows. The Rebellion makes a risky move to steal the plans for the Death Star, setting up the epic saga to follow. This movie takes place after the events of Episode 3, before the events of Episode 4, A New Hope. And it stars people like Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Alan Tudyk, Donnie Yen, and Wen Jiang. Uh, and it is uh, one of the most anticipated films of the year. You know, guys, I saw this thing recently where uh, a woman... Uh, a Mexican, a Muslim, an Asian person, and a disabled person united to try and take down an evil imperialist government that was hell-bent on abridging their civil liberties. But enough about America under the Trump administration, guys. Wait a minute. That was the same one I did. <laughs> he br- that's why you didn't like it. Boom goes the dynamite. I know. Oh, Dave. It's because you, you, stepped, you stepped all over my boom again. Dave, I... <laughs> so you're not going to believe this, Dave. I feel like Jess Just was today. actually better for him, too. Just today, 
I, I heard somebody do a Boom Goes the Dynamite joke that referenced the Trump administration. But enough about my Boom Goes the Dynamite <laughs> joke, everybody. All right, Jeff Kanata. You're probably the person who's, uh, I don't know, between you and Devendra, I think you, you guys are some of the biggest Star Wars nerds I know. Um, so we were all really excited going into this. This is the first Star Wars movie that is not directly related to the Skywalker saga, right? Yeah. I mean, it's Skywalker adjacent. Skywalkers are, are, you know, appear in and around this movie. Yeah, it informs but, on the Skywalker. Yeah, but it's not uh, directly connected to the Skywalker saga. Right. So uh, it's a new kind of movie. Do you think Rogue One, A Star Wars Story was successful? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> this movie is awesome. Um, and yes, it's proof. You know, those of us who have been Star Wars fans for a long, long time, we've We've read novels, we've read comic books, we've played video games that all played in the universe and did ancillary things and and talked about characters that were in their little corners doing their own stuff that really weren't Skywalker people. And we knew that that could work, but for a film to do it, it's a big deal. And yeah, man, it works spectacularly. The other thing that it does that has never been done before, I mean, you could argue A New Hope kind of did it because... George didn't know New Hope was going to be successful, mm-hmm. but it it tells a complete story in one movie. It's not <laughs> it doesn't exist to set up trilogies, right? It Imagine that, right? It's amazing. Uh, it, and that is kind of a revelation. Um, as much as Episode Seven, I find to be uh, a joyous viewing experience. A lot of the job of Episode Seven is to set up other movies, is to create characters that are going to endure for at least one trilogy and maybe more, right? These are – this is not a movie whose job it is is to comp- to tell a complete tale. But how refreshing is it to watch a movie that does, that wants to, that is is here to, to fill in specific information? And my god, it knows how to do a prequel. What a prequel is supposed to do is enrich the original film, enrich the movie to which it preaks, right? Uh, it, yeah. The, the prequels <laughs> didn't do that. Like it, now when I watch A New Hope and they specifically talk about procuring the plans for the Death Star, I'm going to have so much more information and it's going to enrich that moment for me. It actually makes that moment better. Yeah, and this it, movie not, not only makes it better, but actually explains some uh, lingering questions that you might have from. Right, well, I won't talk about any yeah. spoilers, but yeah. yes, it retcons one of the biggest gripes that nerds like me have had. Yeah. This is Mark Ronson with his incredible new album, Late Night Feelings, featuring the hit singles Late Night Feelings and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Mark Ronson, Late Night Feelings, out Friday. About about A New Hope, right? In, in a brilliant way. But that's not all it does. It also introduces its own cast of characters it that are fun to be around, funny. That, you know, there's a lot of humor in the movie. They're badass. They have their own backstories that are interesting. They all seem like really cool additions to the to the universe and it proves that you can create a star wars story that isn't about jedi and that's still going to be fun it utilizes the force and the concept of the force in a new and interesting way that 
kind of grounds the world. It, it fleshes out things. You know, the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie, we see more planets, more new planets than we did mm-hmm. in the entire uh, episode seven. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, and the planets feel fresh. Yeah, they have a yeah. visual language that's completely new and interesting. And it, everything feels vibrant. The movie is shot really well. The action sequences are awesome. There are some very minor gripes that I will have in our extended spoiler discussion, but they are very minor. They're much more minor, I would say, than my gripes for episode seven. It doesn't feel as slavishly um, stuck to that template that yeah. as episode seven does. It, it's able to kind of stretch its legs and create this different kind of story. It's also really interesting in how it depicts war. You know, this is a, a franchise that has war right in the title, and yet the war in Star Wars rarely ever feels like war. And here we are in an age where, you know, war is happening all the time. And these, these, we have these images because media is so prevalent now. We have this idea of what war is. And this movie speaks to that in a very direct way that the allegory is right on the surface. And it's, it's hard not to see when the rebel alliance is defending their homeland from a oppressive government that wants to steal their resources. It's hard not to make those connections. And I think the movie doesn't shy away from that. It, I think it's, it's bold in that way. And it, it's confident in that way. And as much fun as we're having it, you also come away thinking about stuff. I think this movie is a complete home run. It's way better than I thought it was going to be. I think I might like it even more than episode seven in a lot Ooh. of ways. It's a blast. I loved it. All right. <laughs> well, that's Jeff's thoughts on Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Devinder Hardwar, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to echo many of those thoughts. I love this movie as well. Um, it's, it's just so much more focused than Episode 7. But you know what? I can't – it's hard to blame what Episode 7 – like what J.J. Abrams had to deal with in Episode 7 too on that movie because, yeah, it had to do a lot of setup. But there was so much more work that had to be done for that movie than I feel like they had to do for this. Like this is a very self-contained story. Like they had a small grain of a story that they could fill out rather than trying to build – you know, make a movie that would eventually lead to a whole new series of movies. You know, it's a very different process. Um But, yeah, I loved it. Uh, I love all the new characters. Um, I thought it was well written, just shot incredibly well too. Um, it looks gorgeous. Gareth Edwards, it, it kind of, it reminds me a lot of what Gareth, Gareth Edwards, um, did with Godzilla, right? Yeah. And that was a beautiful All, all movie of Gareth Edwards' movies script. are beautiful looking, you know? Yeah. They just all yeah. look great. And this one's He's no had exception. different cinematographers on them. Yeah. I think this is the one, the guy who did, uh, Killing Them Softly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good work there. Um, but, his framing is always, it just always looks good, but Godzilla had a bad script. This movie has a great script. Uh, Chris White's and Tony Gilroy working together in the screenplay. And yeah, then, with, uh, with a story by Gary Whitta and John Knoll. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So got a lot of talent there. Uh, I just, I have very little to complain about in this film. The action was fantastic. Like you cast Donnie Yen and you have Donnie Yen like fucking shit up. Uh, but also shooting it well to like respect the man and his skill and what he can do. Uh, love seeing that. Alan Tudyk here as another wisecracking robot. Uh, but he's just like a great presence to the, too, like to this entire story. And yeah, I think it just feels very complete as a story. You know, people were wondering, a lot of people were asking me after I saw it, um, if I'm annoyed there isn't a sequel. 
Uh, you know, I, I don't need a sequel. We, the sequel is a new hope, you know, cause this yeah, exactly. movie directly leads into that in very specific ways. Uh, but yeah, I love everything about it except for one CG character, which we'll talk more about in spoilers. Uh, but yeah, I was floored by how just solid this movie felt. It felt very crisp. Like, uh, there, there wasn't any fat in this film. It just yeah, did it what it needed to do and it did it well. Uh, we live in extraordinary times, uh, gentlemen, where uh, I-, I think we're going to look back on this time in our lives as being very special because we weren't getting three Star Wars films each year at this moment <laughs> in time. Right? Yeah, and, there, yeah. and that we remember a time when we might not have ever gotten a Star Wars film again right? and that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're right at the turning of the tide. And so I Star- lived through two of those, Dave. Two of those times where I'm like, I'm never getting another Star Wars movie again. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and it and it keeps not being correct. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, Rogue One: A Star Wars Stories is kind of just like it, it's at the cusp of it. Where hey, we're not super tired of it yet. You know, Star Wars like definitely saturates our culture, but I guarantee you, in ten years, it's going to be way worse than it is today. And so to see this story told, and not only not only that, you know, uh, we had many many years of no Star Wars films. They come back. And they have two films, each led by uh, a female character with uh, a with either one or more minority sidekicks at her uh, at her side, and that is just awesome. You know that we have uh, uh, like Disney is willing to take a chance, you know, with that kind of casting, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately, I think financially, it's going to be like very beneficial for them. Uh, but it's not necessarily Hollywood's normal template for big blockbuster. Uh, tentpole movies and so it, i just feel like it's very special that this movie even exists and that we it comes right hot in the heels of force awakens um yeah. but on top of that this is a movie that branches out tries to do its own thing i want to see all kinds of movies set in the star wars universe yeah, yeah heist movies romance dramas you know uh coming of age teen comedies like i, I feel I, like <laughs> we're going to regret this very quickly, just like uh, we were, we may have said similar things after Iron Man. Like, man, I really want them to open up this Marvel universe, guys. Uh, they're uh, really good at uh, But on the whole, end. on the whole, I'm more happy with that than sad about it. You yeah, know? yeah, and I yeah. Feel, it's just and like, I feel like we're gonna get a bunch of crappy Star Wars movies, but we're also probably. But firstly, we've already lived through that, and yes. secondly, uh, you, it you can't know, be I think, as bad as the prequels, right? Like, uh, and secondly, maybe? I think there are gonna be some really uh, amazing ones that are in genres that I hope that we can't even anticipate right now. Yeah. Well, this you one know? also there, proves. It proves that when you give this universe that so many people cherish to creators that actually care about it and are invested in it and have grown up idolizing it and, and you know, revering it, that they actually make good stuff, right? You know, I think I, it, if I could go back in time and give young creators the prequels, they would be amazing movies. Well, imagine like the, imagine a universe in which – the prequels never came out, and instead, all we got was this, right? Yeah. Like it, it, the cinematic universe would be so different because so many uh, adults got disenchanted with the Star Wars universe because of those prequels, right? So well, many also adults. The character like, of Darth Vader wouldn't have been ruined. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, so many adults, <laughs> like, quote unquote, lost the faith 
uh, because of those prequels and how horrible they were. I know some people have actually written in recently and said, every time the prequels come up, you guys bash them. Uh, I, I don't want to devote a whole episode to saying how That's terrible they are. That's also not true, like, we, because we should... I've said a lot about my love for Attack of the Clones. Yes, but okay. yes. So, but yeah, at some point, we, we, the three of us, will need to reckon with our opinion on the prequels uh, sure. and, and pub- be public about it. But for now, let's just assume they're bad, because I think a lot of people think that way. And <laughs> Overall, not uh, a good yeah. And yeah, like if this was the prequel, like oh, oh my, my, my opinion, my my associations yeah. with the word prequel would be yeah. different today yeah. than than they are like you know now. And so it is yes. a very worthy prequel. I think it has some significant problems, um, mm-hmm. th- most specifically around the minor character, like the secondary characters. I think. Uh, the movie tries to do a lot. It tries to do a little too much, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, and it tries to introduce all these plot lines that I don't think really work very well. We'll we'll talk more about that in our spoiler special uh, next yeah. week. But overall, I, I agree with you guys that this movie really works. And by the end, man, I was really caught up in yeah. this story that I kind of already knew the ending to. Uh, but uh, yeah, it still managed to work. It's it's beautiful. The war scenes are thrilling, uh, and uh, love the new characters. They're very charismatic actors that portray them, and uh, and love that they're just taking Star Wars in a different direction and with characters that don't have Skywalker as their last name. It's so, yeah. it's nice to see. I think this movie breaks away from what we expect of Star Wars in many ways too. Right? It doesn't even. Uh, episode seven looks a lot different from any of the other films, but this looks dramatically different. Then, like, just the way things are shot, the way things are framed. Um, there's no I mean, wipes. There's no wipes, but there's, also there's no opening crawl. As there's well, no right? opening crawl, guys. Like this, you see the Lucasfilm logo, you see a long time, you know, a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, and then no opening crawl, and that. I, I felt kind of shocked at that moment. I was like, whoa. Well, wait I had read on SlashFilm.com that there would be no opening crawl, but then right. when you see Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away, I thought, oh, yeah. maybe SlashFilm was wrong. Nope. No opening nope. crawl. So and it, I think that, that from the opening moments tells you that, hey, I'm Star Wars, but I'm different. And yeah. also that, that shot that we are led into from the opening is also fantastic. So amazing. So and good. All, the but, way it's playful with the Williams score as well. It, it, yeah. it is is pretty brilliant. Yeah, it, it, in, in it's like it, it's it's recognizable, but it's not the same. And that's kind of how yeah. I describe this movie is it's recognizably Star Wars, but it is not like, you know, the Skywalker saga. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we go through pretty much most of this movie with no lightsabers. And that's insane to me that I didn't even really miss that. You know, that used yeah, to be one of my right. favorite things in these movies. Uh, but just seeing humans kind of doing their thing and people struggling to survive. I, I like the fact that both the rebels and the empire are also kind of fleshed out a little too. Like the rebels, yes. I think we've always seen them as just the good guys, the white side, you know, versus the evil darkness. And in this movie, it's also like, Hey, good guys have to do bad things too. And that's really interesting to me. Like that's we're getting to gray areas that we never really saw before in this universe. Yeah, but so, but I also like yeah. the overall message. You know, Jeff, this is something that you've been ringing the bell on uh, for the last couple months. But the message of this movie, in my opinion, is give a shit. You know, yes, uh, yeah. get oh. engaged, do something. Like if you see things turning in a direction you don't like, do something. Engage. Yeah. You know, don't just uh, sit by and let things happen. Right. Yeah. And yep. that's a message that I think we really need. So, oh man, it, I was completely moved by the end of this movie. I, it was stirring. It was, I mean, at one point, I turned to the person I had gone to the movie with and said, "I can't believe I'm watching this." Like, it, yeah, even yeah. more than Episode Seven, it it felt like the fourth Star Wars movie. You know, mm. it 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 
it felt so right on every level. And the, the climactic battle is so perfect and like the plan is awesome and (laughs) it all just works, man. And yeah, it is about something. It's, it doesn't exist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. simply like, the thing that pisses we're, me we're not just seeing the continuation of the Skywalker mythology, right? It is well, about a bigger ideal, I think. The thing that pisses me off so much about the prequel trilogy is they only exist to fill in the blanks. And right. the blanks they fill in aren't very blank. Yes. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. This movie actually enriches it. It actually yeah. adds. It's it's and and it doesn't just exist to fill that in. Not only does it like overflow the filling, right? In in by adding new things that that you didn't suspect would be part of it. It also is about its own thing. Is about these characters discovering something for themselves. They're not just mm-hmm. going through the motions so that you can know more about what Luke was thinking. You know, yeah. it it yeah. they have their own journey and and the journey is is a unique side of the Star Wars world. Like the, just how the force is handled in this movie alone yeah. is adds to the entire universe. Yeah. There needs it's to be so a Bechdel cool. test for like a sky a Star Wars movie that isn't like over obsessed with the Skywalkers. So this passes <laughs> right. the uh what would you call that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not a, the the Hardware test. No, uh, although, but it's more like this is for me, like one of the bigger problems with the Star Wars universe is that it was overly obsessed with the yeah, Skywalker. Yeah, agree completely. That's agree completely, always yeah. it. And clearly, there are more stories to tell, more interesting stories. Dave, you said like you felt it was maybe a little overstuffed or it yeah, stretched too far. I, totally, I think yeah. I I am more impressed by what it did in its running time. Like it gave us characters, it made us give a shit about them, it made us like care about their camaraderie and that what they're trying to do. And you know, like I. I honestly was not expecting that going into this movie. I think when we first heard that there was going to be a Star Wars side story about, you know, finding the Death Star plans, I joked that, uh, oh, yeah, we know how that ends. <laughs> and we do know how that ends. Uh, I joked on the show, actually. And, yeah, we do know how that ends, but we don't know how they got there. And I think that's it's amazing to me that they even made that so interesting and so compelling. Yeah, it's kind of the Apollo 13 of Star Wars movies. Right, right. right. Like, you know yeah. where it's all going to end up. You know that they get those plans and they blow that Death Star up, but it's still super compelling, and you're still on the edge of your seat seeing the moment to moment of how it happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have much more to say about this, but we really got to move on, guys. Uh, so stay tuned. Next week we'll have our spoiler special. Uh, of just discussing Rogue One. So there's, a, there's ton, tons more to say. Uh, a couple of things I do want to mention before we go, though. One is, uh, Divinger, you, you pointed out we should have a Skywalker-esque test. Like, that's kind of the Bechdel yeah. test. Um, Rogue One is a movie whose trailer passes the Bechdel test. Yes. Which is yes. insane. Uh, and it's sad that that's so rare, but it's cool that it does. Uh, let me ask you guys, before we move on to La La Land review, rank the Star Wars films Ooh. from favorite to least favorite. And let's just... Uh, don't even include the prequels. Let's just do the <laughs> the episodes four through six, and uh, and then seven, and then this film. Unless you want to put the prequels in there, different. I'm cool with that. But yeah, yeah Jeff yeah. Kanata, what do you think? Uh, in, in my heart or in my head? Either one. Either one. Because in my heart, I think it goes Empire Jedi New Hope. In my head, I know it's Empire New Hope Jedi. But I, <laughs> as a kid, I loved I loved Jedi so much as a kid. So I, yeah. it's so anyway. And then after that. Rogue One Seven. Ooh, I really so, think mm. this edges out Episode Seven for me. Wow! I, I came out of this movie 
without any of the like yeah buts that episode seven gave me. Like, yeah, but why did it have to be so exactly like right, the right, right. Why, Yeah, but why did they do this? Yeah, but why did they do that? This movie, there were only very, very minor things, which I think we all agree on, but it's such a, that's like a filmmaking thing rather than a story thing. And I think this movie, it's so solid that it, it really ranks above seven. It just edges out seven for me. All right. Devinder Hardwar, how about you? Mm. I've been, because people were tweeting about this all day, I've been thinking about it. And uh, I'm going to have to go with five, four, seven, um, six, or no, no, five, four, seven. Actually, this movie, and then six. I am. Oh, I am so you like this fan. less than Force Awakens, but more than Return of the Jedi? I would say so. And I have to see it a couple more times. I don't, I'm not as huge a fan of Return of the Jedi, and I did see that a lot growing up. Uh, but. I can quote right that after that movie. I can quote all the alien languages in, in <laughs> Return of the Jedi. I, I watched but, it until the VHS tape broke. Yes. Well, I, I, I can understand that. It's a fun movie to watch while you're a kid. Uh, that one just hasn't held up for me the as much. The Jabba going. sequence alone for me. <laughs> it, yeah. But after that sequence, by the way, it's two, three, one. Attack the clones. There's a lot of fun stuff there if you just don't listen to that. The words are speaking. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I think my ranking matches yours. It might uh, edge out Return of the Jedi for me, but uh, it might be like 5, 4, Rogue One, 6, and then 7 for me. But Dude, So what is it about Jedi that gets you guys so – is it is it just the Ewoks? Because that, it's not just that, the Ewoks. It's, no, hey, it's dude, more Jeff, like – I like that movie. I like that movie. Yeah. I don't think that movie is The bad. ending of that movie where you're splitting between yeah. Lando and the Falcon in space – Han and Leia on the surface fighting the Ewoks and Luke going through his solo thing with Vader and the Emperor. That is – that's <laughs> fucking Star Wars. Yeah, dude. Man. Dude, I like that. I like that movie. I'm not saying I don't like that movie. All right? Yeah, yeah. I like it as well. I'm just ranking it among Star Wars movies. It's not It's yeah. not one I revisit as much. Like I think that I have a lot of issues with it, I guess, pacing-wise and I don't care about some of the things happening in that movie. Um, and also, yeah, second Death Star, guys. Like, if we're going to talk about repeating, um, yeah, the, the, you know, what I'll, here's stuff. what I'll say, uh, and uh, we'll get into this more later. But this is a movie, Rogue One. It made Star Wars Episode Four better for me, yes. and it made Episode yes. Six and Seven worse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. anyway, we can get into that later. Those are our thoughts on Rogue One: A Star Wars Story. Next week, our spoiler special. In the meantime, let's get to our review of La La Land. Two options. You either follow my rules or follow my rules. Capisce? Thank you. I can do it a different way. No, that's, that's fine. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was from the trailer for La La Land, the newest film by writer-director Damien Chazelle. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A jazz pianist falls for an aspiring actress in Los Angeles. This movie stars Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling as Mia and Sebastian. Uh, these two lovers who get involved while trying to make their dreams come true as artists in Los Angeles. Uh, Divinger Hardwar, we're big fans of Damien Chazelle, both as a writer and as a director. 
Uh, so, you know, going into this movie, like, our expectations are pretty high. What did yeah. you end up thinking? I'm very curious what you end up thinking of this film. And I, I'm getting to you first because I know Jeff, you know, Jeff, for you, like, this movie is probably pretty personal. Is my this guess. is your right story, now. Jeff. Yeah. Very um, much so, sadly, <laughs> yes. So, Devendra, your, your overall thoughts on the movie? Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I don't think I was as floored by it as I was by Whiplash, which is a movie that still astonishes me today. Like, just given, like, how assured and how sharp that movie is. Uh, La La Land, like, I think I, I love Damien Chazelle's musical spirit. Uh, I really love these characters. It just feels like we've seen this story so many times. You know, the idea of people, you know, young people giving it all up to go to LA and they're struggling to survive. And, you know, we've seen that story told many, many times. I think this one adds some new flourishes to that whole idea. And I think specifically the ending to this movie, I, I thought it was a Great movie, you know, really good for most of the time. Uh, maybe some of the earlier set pieces felt like they were trying too hard. Uh, the second set piece where they're going to a party, it almost feels like it doesn't need to exist or it happens so quickly <laughs> after the opening of the movie where I, I felt like I was just being, uh, I, it, there was too much bombast being thrown at me where I couldn't really focus on it. So I, I have some issues with that, but I think the movie slows down. And when you get to the end, which we'll talk about a bit later, I think it, kind of wraps itself up in a way that's really affecting and really interesting and intriguing. And uh, yeah, we haven't really seen things done like that before. So that's, I, I love how Chazelle can keep me, you know, intrigued so far and still show me something new at the very end. Well, uh, I don't know if we haven't quite seen something like that before. Uh, this movie does make references to a lot of movies, some yes. of which I've seen, some of which I haven't. Um, Alex, Billington, I think... Alex Billington pointed out like the, the ending is very similar to another film called Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Right. Uh, yeah. There's obviously references to like uh, American in London and mm-hmm. you know, other uh, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly movies of, of yesteryear. You know, so so uh, you know, one question to ask is like, is this movie more than just pastiche? Right? Is it more than right, just right. a combination of things that have come before? It does. I, it feels more beholden to Hollywood and yes, more beholden to the legacy of Hollywood yeah. than Whiplash was because Whiplash was like what the fuck am I watching like this is insanity on screen <laughs> whereas this movie feels a lot safer and I think because of that yeah it is it is relying on those Hollywood pastiches and it's showing his love of that but that can be dangerous like if you go down that path and maybe stop doing your own original stuff or kind of lean away from your original stuff that yeah, it, it's be- a love letter to those kinds of films yes right and sure. yeah. And it kind of rides the border between being perhaps too. It, it maybe is the Force Awakens of uh, of Hollywood musicals, perhaps. Right. You know, in terms of being a little bit too slavish in its imitations uh, yeah. and references. I remember sometimes. similar complaints around the Brothers Bloom too, right? An- another movie that's like very very lively, very references a lot of similar films of that genre. Uh, but I think that movie also added some original stuff. Yeah, I, so. I love that movie, Brothers Bloom. Um, mm-hmm. but- I, I actually saw this with a talkback with the. Damien Chazelle and someone mm-hmm. asked about the umbrellas of Cherbourg and mm-hmm. he said straight up it's his favorite movie of all time. Right. Uh, I've never seen it. I've never yeah. seen it. So I don't I don't know. I know that's an opera in the sense that Yeah, everything is sung, has, yeah. Has no spoken dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I really want to see it now, and especially hearing him say that. But um I wonder if this movie would have a different impact on me if I had seen that before seeing this you right know, I, at the same time you know the movie should function on its own yeah if, if possible yeah. um and so uh, i'll share a few thoughts and then we'll get to jeff uh but uh overall i think when i first saw this movie i was blown away uh and i, I think as i've 
gotten away from it. You know, as as days have passed, I've liked it less and less. And I think when I first saw it, I was just dazzled by the technical wizardry of you right. know, things like yeah. the opening scene. And after those first two songs, I thought to myself, oh, I get this. I get this. I get what he's doing. You know, he's he's taking he's making a musical, putting it on the big screen, and, but using modern filmmaking techniques, right? Uh, and long takes to, to film all these dance and song numbers. And uh, wow, it's spectacular and, and amazing. And then that just kind of goes away. Like act <laughs> two... There's barely any songs in it whatsoever, and yeah. you know, Act Three. There's like one song. Like that second song should have been pushed forward a little, or yeah, something. The, the, some other it's sentence. very uneven. I would say the yeah. second act of this movie not only doesn't, you know, is very light on the songs, but it just it kind of drags. You know, it doesn't. I, I'm not a huge fan of the second act. It, it feels like I don't know what where this movie's going or what's happening, mm-hmm. what, where these characters are going. Um, but uh, overall, I really like this movie because. Even though I think the ending makes the message very, very muddled as to what this <laughs> movie is trying to say, like, like, okay, um, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't talk about it until we get to yeah, spoilers. Yeah. But, so, but suffice to say, even though I think some of the messaging of the movie is weird, the ending got to me in a way that, like, I, I was thinking of making a list for SlashFilm.com of my top ten movie uh, moments of the year. It's a gut punch. It, 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 that yeah. that ending is like yeah. one of the best movie moments of the year for me, and. Yeah. uh and because of that, like I, I can't deny the power this movie had. Also, some of the musical numbers are just spectacular. The opening yes. musical number is so good, uh, and if you read about how they accomplished it, it's just it's, it's like wow, you need to be an insane person to dream that up and then make it happen. <laughs> and Damien Chazelle, who's like thirty-one years old, was able to do this, or he's I guess he was thirty when he made this movie. Um, there's a lot of magic in this movie. Uh, I think there's a lot of problems as well. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest problem is uh the characters are a little thin uh from a you know character development perspective and some of the singing is not good in my opinion like it's <laughs> a, or at the very least it's not in That's the style of a musical right, right it's right. it's not musical style and so That's it is actually that's intentional, right? It's like, it's more, you know, like, uh, someone, I was tweeting about this and someone responded to me like, Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire weren't exactly like amazing singers either. So mm-hmm. I agree, it's not intentional, but it does make for a somewhat frustrating viewing experience because, uh, I don't know if it was the mix in my theater, but it is sometimes just hard to hear and understand the lyrics in, huh. uh, in the movie. And, uh, this is not like, you know, I asked some people who saw it with me and they all had the same issue. And you kind of need to hear and understand those lyrics. It kind of pulls a, uh, Macbeth, you know, Jeff, we were talking about that new yeah. Macbeth and how, uh, the they were kind of whisper. Like, there's some, there's some lines in this movie that are literally whisper sung, right? And, uh, in my opinion, that's basically unacceptable for a conventional musical. And for this film, I think it barely works, but I didn't enjoy it that much when, when those moments happened. So hmm. I think the singing is only okay. Uh, it's not great. Uh, but, uh, overall, I, I really like the movie and it had some moments that I'm gonna really remember for, for quite a long time to come. Jeff Kanata, this is a movie about dreamers, about trying to make it in Hollywood despite stupefying odds. Uh, and this is something that you've talked about Perfect word. on the Slash Filmcast and elsewhere about how trying to be an actor, trying to be in show business is really difficult. This movie tries to speak directly to that. Yeah. What did you think of it? It's going to be very difficult for me to talk about this movie outside the spoiler section. Sure. Um, well, we can everything... get into that pretty quickly. So Yeah, we should. Everything I think about it is is really tied into very spoilery 
things. But I will agree with you in the sense that I think the ending of this movie makes the entire movie for me. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the, the, the first 90% of this movie, I would describe with one word and that is charming. It's a yeah. charming yeah. film. It's, it's really these are cute. charming actors doing charming things. Um, it, even the singing, which you describe as as not good, I would I would describe more in, as authentic and grounded. And the whole idea of it, I think, is to not make it seem like they just break out into perfect song. But these are mm-hmm. human beings who are expressing themselves through song. And I'm not even a musical guy. Like I don't really dig musicals and. I think that's maybe why I didn't respond to the first 90, 90% of this movie the way some people are because this isn't a genre that I, I typically, uh, you know, luxuriate in. Yeah. It's not something I'm like, oh my God, thank God somebody made another musical. While I think it is accomplished in it, and, and as you say, audacious and really, uh, really marvelous in how it pulls off these, these kind of incredible moments. I mean, the movie opens with a just a stunning display that they actually did and throughout this you know you wonder how much is cg and how much is not um for example uh ryan gosling plays virtuoso piano throughout this movie right and i wondered wow the visual effects must have been really off the charts in replacing his hands no he just learned the piano for this movie (laughs) and his playing of it is absolutely amazing like it's it's really good and they- I, I, i'm gonna go on there so he practiced two hours a day for three months to, to do this movie um coming from a you know my mom is a musician by trade mm-hmm. uh I, i'm gonna just say i believe that he played at least a significant part of it <laughs> you know i don't know that i think he played everything um, well, I think every so, time you see hands that are connected to him right that's him that's they not purposely, a yeah they purposely did it so that they would do like they would show the hands and they would show them connected to him in long takes, yeah. So that you you would know that it's him doing it. But I think there is some fakery there. Is is what mm-hmm. I would like if I had to bet money, I would say there's some amount of fakery for for some of the incredibly challenging. There's uh, enough that yeah. There's enough of actually seeing him do things that I was impressed. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. yeah. and actually seeing the two of them dance like the the dance numbers are not not simple. These are these are very complicated uh, choreographed numbers that. And seeing these actors do them, I, I felt like it was um, – it is magical, right? The f- movie is full of magic and it is uh, reverent to old Hollywood and it, there's a – it's charming, right? It's very yeah, charming. Yeah. Um, I will, I'll speak to the question that you, that you teed up for me in a way that it, – it, it's hard for me to talk about without spoilers and I, we, we will talk about more in spoilers. But I, I, I can't help but think that my viewing experience was marred by my own – human experience mm-hmm. it it's not this is not a fun sequence of events to re, to live <laughs> through on the screen right. for me uh it's it's harsh and uh it's and it's really yeah i guess that's to the movie's credit that it's kind of honest about that but then mm-hmm. and then less so right the movie um, it, it has the eye too i think of uh of like an east coaster going to la and just being wowed by everything yeah. In a way, right? And I think that's a big part of it too. So that's why I've I've seen from a lot of LA critics that they're less impressed with it uh, than like uh, maybe even the New Yorkers are. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's the case with me. Is that mm-hmm. you know I I'm probably was distracted half the time by recognizing the locations. And too real. It's too real. It's really really real. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
anyway, I, I think the movie is easy to recommend. I don't know if it'll land on my – it certainly won't make my top five. I don't know huh. if it's going to land on my top ten. Um, but I, I, it's a, I think it's a movie that everyone who sees it will enjoy. It's, it's charming. It's a yeah. very charming film. And, and that ending really is worth the price of admission alone. It's, yeah. I described it – Dave and I talked a little offline uh, via text and I described it as – it feels like this brilliant short film that's added on to the end of a much less, much less accomplished film. <laughs> yeah. Mm, interesting. And right. uh, his, uh, so Damien Chazelle's first movie, Guy in Medline uh, on a Park Bench, I think uh, that's on iTunes right now. And I've seen clips of that. And you could see some elements of that movie here too. You know, yeah. that's a really low budget. That's basically a student film, I think. But yeah, you see elements of that. And I just want to say, Jeff, like I, for the first parts of the movie, I also felt like it was charming and maybe too charming. So yeah, you're not alone in that. All right, let's get the spoilers for La La Land starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because of course. You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. You want to be fooled. This movie feels a little disingenuous, yeah. right? It, it, I, I think it does a little bit. Yeah, it's very um, easy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody gets exactly what they always dreamed of, uh, which I guess is kind of the Hollywood fantasy that the movie is <laughs> is dancing inside. You know, I use those words very specifically. Yeah. And they um, mentioned years of struggle too, right? So they didn't just like they're not just fresh off the bus. Landing in LA and landing huge things like Emma Stone's character. Although was actually, uh, Damien Chazelle uh-huh. originally had written the part for people who were like in their early twenties uh-huh. uh, before he cast Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, and then oh, that's of, interesting. Yeah, so they were originally supposed to be much more green than they were in the and film. And th- that I think would have I would have been super annoyed by it, but I think yeah, Emma, they're both like they're not like older characters, but you know they're not super young twenty somethings. And there is some mention of struggle there, and you see some of that in this film too. So I like seeing characters struggle because that, to me, makes their victories earned. Oh, the struggle—the struggle is real. The struggle—the struggle, yes. struggle is—is the part that is rough to watch, right? Because mm-hmm. I've been in every situation that is depicted in this movie in my own way, right? It's—it's it's from her you're, perspective. You're, yeah, the Emma Stone like auditions, basically. Right? The auditions, the all—all all of that stuff. Uh, coming to L.A., having big dreams, r- realizing the the sort of dehumanizing machine that is Hollywood. Uh, I found that to be all really honest. And then to sort of give her a get out of jail free card at the, get both of them really. I mean, yeah, because yeah. while his experience hasn't been mine, I certainly have friends who are trying to make it in the music industry and the movie over and over and over again tells you that jazz clubs don't work until this guy's jazz club works, right? It's, <laughs> it's, and, and, well, we don't you know. know. We don't know how well it's working. It's just <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. So, you know? so Jeff, uh, I, I was talking with uh, my significant other with whom I watched this film, and uh, she, she explained it to me in a really interesting way. She said, I understand why they did it that way, right? Because mm-hmm. if he wasn't in charge of his successful jazz club at the end, then, uh, the, then he might be longing after her because of her success yes, and not right. because uh, of their relationship together. And so there is a plot function to him – Getting the successful jazz club at the end, but that being said, it's like uh, it's like you said, it's both of these people got what they wanted in in fields in which it is 
monstrously difficult to get what you want. Yeah, right? but they and, got and what I they think... wanted at what cost? You know, I it think per... the cost is the heartbreaking part of this movie. Yeah, that that is. Is, yeah, that is okay. Sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. The, it, it in a movie that is constantly sort of breaking at the myth of of Hollywood, which is come here, you'll be a famous star. It's constantly breaking at that. It at the end perpetuates that myth that oh my god, all you got to do is be in the the little um, stage play that no one shows up to, but a casting director will be there and see you and and like that to me like made me actively angry, right? Because <laughs> I've been in many of those plays where no one comes and it's a and it and it never the casting director never will come to that they will never come it never happens right and what i and to like give her a child and a husband and and, and Mm -hmm. all that stuff i thought was really beautiful and have that be wonder a wonderful juxtaposition to what we wanted for her like she's clearly very happy and and are we supposed to wish for that child to be erased from the, from this <laughs> from the world right it's a wonderful predicament to put your your audience in but you could easily do that without also having given her all of her dreams like i would have and again you set this up david to me as being a very personal thing and this is very personal and probably unfair for me to uh, put on this movie <laughs> because it's a very unique position from which i'm watching it but what i realize is that of the people in this position have a family, move on, do other things with their lives, go somewhere else and realize that's okay too. And like if the movie – and I understand this movie is about the 0.001% that it happens for. But if it didn't – if it wasn't about that 0.001%, I think it would have been – a richer, more interesting experience for me. 100% agree. And I think the movie actually is set up to be that way. The movie begins with a spectacular dance sequence of all these people sitting in this miserable Los Angeles traffic, uh, singing about how they left their lives at home to chase this impossible dream, right? And how it's just another day in the sun, a.k.a. another day sitting in this hot, horrendously awful LA traffic, but everyone's super happy and exuberant. And movies often start, musicals often start by having a song that sets up the status quo, right? Think of Moana, that movie we just saw, where, hey, everything on this island is amazing, right? This island's spectacular. You never need to leave. And then what happens after that song is it problematizes that. Hey, actually, you kind of do need to leave. That's what I thought this movie was doing with that song. Like, oh, hey, we're all dancing. We're all having our dreams. Emma Stone goes through this brutal process of getting mm-hmm. rejected from everything. And then she's going to find out that, hey, there's – like you said, Jeff, maybe there's better things in life than uh, chasing your dreams. Maybe there's – maybe even though chasing your dreams is worthwhile, maybe like it doesn't always work out and that's okay. You know, There's something superior – like there's some bigger calling that we might have to like bringing meaning to our lives than just making it in show yeah. business. Or maybe you um, could chase your dreams in different ways. Right. Maybe chase exactly your dreams in different ways. Way. Exactly. Like some, some yeah. thing that complicates or mm-hmm. problematizes – uh, yeah. This idea of chasing your dreams. And it does that a little bit because as Devinger mm-hmm. points out, they do lose this relationship that they had. But And, and the way that that's conveyed with that song yeah. and the flashback in the whole movie is amazing and very moving. But the whole time I kept thinking to myself, well, do they really need to do that? Like, <laughs> Well, also in that <laughs> feature, by the way, in that feature, did we see uh, Ryan Gosling's character didn't have the jazz clip? He didn't, he didn't get his dreams. That's, oh, her. yeah, that's right. 
That's right. You know, and I think, uh, yeah, let's not look over that too. Cause like he was just, he, I think he kind of settled and was happy doing what he could have. And I wish the movie had spent more time kind of conveying that, that maybe he settled or he was satisfied with where he was in life. I also wonder like, yeah, Damien Chazelle is a young guy who has found a lot of success really early on too. You know, like I, we, I'm sure he struggled a bit too in his career, but this movie is coming from the perspective of somebody of like an ingenue who <laughs> has like succeeded and is like so has been praised so much. And I, I love everything he's done so far, even like writing Grand Piano. I remember when I saw Grand Piano, I just had to tell you guys about it because that movie was so insane. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I wonder how much like his youth and his perspective may inform, it. you know, for like in right. 10 years, he, he, he hasn't been movie. beaten down by life yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Give him time, guys. But <laughs> it's sort of like how uh, Spielberg says, like at the end of uh, if he had made Close Encounters when he was older and after he had kids he wouldn't have had, you know, that main character go into the ship because right. the more important thing is the family, but he didn't realize that then. And I, I guess right. we're like, what is, what is his perspective? How does that inform, inform the film? Right. The thing that I worry about in people listening to what I've said here <laughs> is that it just sounds like a bitter cynic who's <laughs> being bitter all over this movie. And, and I, that may be true. That may be true that I'm, <laughs> that, those of us that aren't the 0.001% look at this movie and go, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, movie. <laughs> Seriously. Because you, you were being true and then you weren't. Right. Right. Like yes. if, yeah, yeah, if yeah. the movie had ended with them not getting their dreams and finding some other meaning, like I, I would think the movie would be a hundred percent better. But that ending, as moving and as well put together as it is, I, I think the message of the ending is pretty problematic. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you guys also this. This is a question that's dogged me since I saw the film. The John Legend character, you know, uh -huh. uh, he plays music, Seb joins his band. Firstly, uh, r random thought, you know, you know, they've been dating for five months and, uh, she says to him, uh, you know, he, he goes, he cooks the meal for her and they, they're at home and she says, why aren't you starting your club? Why are you playing in this stupid John Legend band? And <laughs> it's, it's like, lady, this has been five months. You can't save up enough money to start a band in five months, to start a freaking club in well, five months. I, to, you know? <laughs> to be fair, he was talking about, yeah, the, he seemed fine. Like he was suddenly like, yeah, I could do this for a while. And it was after he said that, like, yeah, I could tour for years. It sh that was like a red flag. Sure. And sure, she was like, hey, uh, don't forget about why, you know, you started doing this. I guess my question is, were we supposed to think the John Legend music was bad? I think that, it, I had that same question. Yeah, it's an interesting line, right? Because it's I don't think it is bad. I think it's very populous. Not bad. Yeah, it's not <laughs> bad. It's a fun song. But I think. In that scene where she's in the audience and yeah. like all this shit is happening on stage, like I think you see his dream kind of dying. And right. I think that was conveyed really well. It, right? It's this about is... him not being true to himself. Like that's what exactly. That's what yeah. it's not about the song being bad. It's yeah. about him not being true to himself. But I do think that Chazelle's relationship with jazz music in particular mm -hmm. is pretty I don't know, complicated just because <laughs> you have a situation where you have the only major speaking 
uh, African-American role in this film is a guy who is not doing the old school jazz anymore. Right, right. right. He is taking old school jazz and doing fusion, transforming it into something new and reinventing himself, which is what the the course of music has been throughout all all of history. (laughs) And he's doing the right thing, but we're – I think we are meant to sympathize with Seb's character. Uh, And that is just weird. And then you also think back to Whiplash, which – I don't recall it having any major characters that were African-American, but that's also a movie about jazz, right? Yep. Uh, And so it it just felt like the movie was setting John Legend up to be kind of not the greatest influence on Seb when I thought to myself, you know, I don't know that he's not, right? Like, I don't think that – I didn't get that, although I do think it is is weird that this is a movie about somebody trying to be a traditionalist about jazz and – it's it is the only black cast member who's saying, "Hey, dude, like, come on, grow <laughs> yeah. up, like, get a grip." There's there's things better than you know the old school ways <laughs> this of is, doing what things. Jazz is, Which is and by like, the way, this is this whole movie is you know an old school Hollywood musical. You know, it's it's kind of a, a refer- It's like recreates and references and yeah. does all that stuff to these old school movies. And it is much it's more very rooted in the past. And yeah. it does some new things. It synthesizes it and, and shows us a, a few new tricks up its sleeve. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I do think like taken to its logical conclusion, this style of filmmaking, this message mm-hmm. in the filmmaking could get problematic as time goes on. So we'll see. I mean, like Whiplash, I, that's a movie I just rewatch time and time again. And that movie feels like jazz through its bones, right? Even straight through to like that crazy finale. Like that movie just does new things, tries new things and innovates with a very, you know, a much smaller budget, a much smaller cast. Um, yeah, I, I hope Damien Chazelle doesn't go down the like Hollywood, you know, traditionalist route. I hope he stays to, true to himself and, you know, keeps doing new things too. Yeah, totally. Uh, Jeff, I'll give you the last word. Any closing thoughts on La La Land? I mean, if there's anybody listening to this that, that, you know, dreams of is young and dreams of moving <laughs> to Hollywood that, you know, the, the way this actually plays out is Ryan Gosling, you know, shows up that morning in the car and she decides I'm going to make one last try and goes and does it. And they, and it is exactly the same as every other audition. <laughs> and that's okay because that's the myth is not the reason to do it. Right. The day to day work, the, the, like the grind, the, the whittling out of little, tiny victories, the doing the play in the club for five people, but those five people liked it. That's the real shit. And mm-hmm. for me, if the movie had the courage to actually be about the real shit from start to finish, I would, I would be jumping up and down in, in, in respecting it more. I, I think it just, it just buys. Well, I think into it its did for mythology. much of its runtime, Jeff. It just it was, the it ending, yeah. was the ending yeah. that really didn't. But I loved. I loved that that short film that we see at yeah. the end. It's it's a work of art, and it's truly worth seeing. And, the and whole paired movie with for. that music is just so beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I, I agree with you, Jeff. I think you know it, it's like it's like watching a movie about people who win the lottery. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, that's kind of cool and kind of interesting, but that doesn't apply to the vast majority of people and. Also, it, it's a little bit disingenuous in it, like the implication. It's not, it's, not, it's not even about – it's about somebody that plays the lottery every day and thinks about playing the lottery every day and plays a, the lottery every day and then finally decides I'm going to give up playing the lottery. And then their friend comes and gives them one last lottery ticket and that's the winner. And but, you know, movies, guys. Right. Come on. like to, no, be, to be a little more fair to the film, I think, like it's – 
listen to like all of us, I, I think, have gone through our own struggles career wise, right, to get where we are. But I also think like I remember I moved to New York, guys. I didn't have a job. I had savings and I moved to New York with the express goal of like I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I wanted to write more about technology. I wanted that to be my goal. And I wanted to do some film stuff because we had already started the film cast and like New York was a good place to be for that. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I feel really good about where I landed and that I took that chance. And Dave, like you moved across the country to work at Microsoft. <laughs> and remember how scary that was. And I think like you ended up doing amazing things. You made a movie over there. Jeff, you started the Totally Rad Show, which has had such a lasting effect. Uh, on so many people, you're people me, talk you're to me, me all the time. Up, no, I mean, yeah, guys, like, look I'm at not... your lives. <laughs> there, well, I don't want to sound ungrateful yeah. or 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 yeah. or whatever. I, yeah. I I I think you are making the same point I'm making, which is, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is small. It is small victories that almost never look like what you thought it was going to be. Exactly. Yeah. And because yeah. she gets it's... exactly the life she thought she was going to have. Mm-hmm. It feels disingenuous. I guess, yeah. yeah, that that feels a little too movie-like. But what I'm saying, I think the broader statement of, like, taking that chance, you know, it's a leap of faith into the unknown, and you don't know where your future is going to be, and uh, you know that the odds are against you that you would succeed or that you would even be a name in this, like, particular industry or something. But there, there is so much telling you not to do it, and the people who actually... The first step really is just like trying, like, you know, it's sort of like Rogue One too, like giving a damn enough about what you want and kind of being a little crazy. I think that's mentioned here too, like just being insane to think that you could succeed in this. And that is a part of it too. So I I appreciate that aspect of the film. Totally, totally 100%. That last song called Audition, Here's to the Dreamers, you know? Yes. I like that. It's like, hey, the dream, without dreamers, people who dreamed impossible dreams, we wouldn't have a lot of the art we have today. And that's beautiful and and worth saluting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for some reason, I just didn't want Emma Stone to actually achieve achieve (laughs) that dream. You guys didn't want her to, like, yeah, because because it's like, hey, most, like, 99.99999% of people won't. And the movie seems to be about more that than the other points. I I guess, like, the ultimate thing is that I think most people, when they have these dreams, they don't do anything about it. You know, everyone yeah, has this, like idea of something that they want to do. And this movie is about just taking that chance and just doing it. So it seems it definitely seems disingenuous that you see both of your leads like kind of succeed against all odds, yada, yada, yada. But in terms of what it means and like a nice thing I'm going to revisit whenever I feel down in my life, uh, this movie is going to be like a great little antidote for just feeling depressed about my situation. See, I think so, that's the problem is that for me, yeah. it does the opposite effect. It makes <laughs> me feel worse. <laughs> well, Eric in the chat room is saying they, you know, they, they still, there's still a cost. They both lost their relationship. Yes. And I guess, but I guess all, what you're hearing all of us say is that is such a small sacrifice compared to, all the stuff that they have achieved, you know what I yeah. mean? Like she has a new husband and kid and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, although I, I do wonder my, my big complaint with the movie is like, guys, like, um, okay. So she did that movie and I guess it worked out and like, he's doing a thing. It's, it's not that hard to try to get back yeah. together. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. There. It, 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 yeah. it didn't, you know, it, it didn't make too much. Like if their love was so, transcendent exactly. and amazing and that's i would say i would argue another one of the problems of the film is it didn't yeah. feel 
amazing entrance. It felt like, hey, this is a cool, nice little relationship. It didn't feel like, wow, this is epic love, you know, that I can't believe they I lost guess, it. I guess that is sort of the point, too. Like, there are, you will have these yeah. romantic flourishes in your life, and it'll feel big and, you know, world-changing at the time, and then it'll just, you know, kind of be a thing, yeah. but you'll have those feelings too yeah but but yeah. but i guess yeah it, it that's one of the problems of the movie i think is like the love story feels okay it doesn't feel like i, I wasn't thinking oh my gosh these people are meant to be to be together right, they're amazing right. you know and i think the songs are supposed to try and convey that a little bit but it didn't quite do the trick for me mm-hmm. um so anyway I, I know i'm coming off very negative on the film <laughs> the, the experience like i've been listening to the soundtrack non-stop this exactly week. the experience of watching the film is still yeah. great it's just uh there were some things i wish it did a little bit better so mm-hmm. uh that's our review of la la land uh and yeah that's uh the slash filmcast this week find more episodes of this podcast slash filmcast.com email us at slash filmcast gmail.com stay tuned here we'll be doing next week in the meantime divindra hard or can find more of your work on the internet this week okay you can find me in at divindra on twitter and i write about tech and gadget.com check me out on the podcast there how about you uh jeff canada uh, you can find me at Jeff Kanata on Twitter, especially if you're a casting director uh, <laughs> who wants to give me my big break and make all my dreams come true. Uh, I also have several other you shows. You joke, Jeff. You joke. I, I Sadly, I don't joke. I just, <laughs> I just laugh because of how unlikely it is. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, other shows I do, I do a video game show, which coincidentally one Devendra Hardware just guessed it on this week. Yeah, uh, you can, that was you fun. Can find that. Yeah, it was, it's called DLC. You can find it at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And uh, I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, I have a new podcast with John Robinson. It's called Gen Pop. You can find it at genpopshow.com and also support it on Patreon at patreon.com slash genpopshow. Uh, and I think that's all we got for today. Next week, we'll be doing our Star Wars spoiler special. So Rogue One spoilers with Peter Serretta from SlashFilm.com. That should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening uh, to the official podcast of SlashFilm. We're out. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 